Lloyd Curtis became the executive director of the Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission in January three years ago, so just over three years. Uh, in a moment, Lloyd's going to come, but um, first, let's welcome Lloyd and his wife, Lisa. Would you two just stand real quick, please? Let's welcome them to Community Chapel today. Man, and my, you may be seated. And my understanding is Lisa now is joining Lloyd full-time at the Rescue Mission as well. So it's a partnership there. Um, knowing that we were going to be having you here, Lloyd, um, I got an email from Sue Banfield, Sue Banfield Ward. And um, she reminded me of the many different ways we have partnered with the Rescue Mission over the years. Um, and I could list so many different ways. But she reminded me of those who faithfully provided lunch to the Rescue Mission for the last 17 years on a monthly basis. She talks about when they originally toured the facilities those 17 years ago, how it was just a shell. I remember when it was just a shell. And um, Carlos, the director at the time, was talking about the dream of it being more than what it was. And, and so they began to serve food and those kind of things. But from just that shelter to a fully functional outreach center of compassionate ministry to our community, to some of those folks that live on the edges and some folks who have no place to call home, where they are offering compassion and grace. Now, this is from Sue. She says, if anyone should ask how they can help, please have them get in touch with me. So if you want any information or testimony or thoughts about the rescue mission, then you just need to get hold of Sue Banfield Ward. Sue Banfield at charter.net. You just email her and she will I'd be glad to talk to you about the rescue mission. But today, this is really the final message in our series on God's calling. Um, our brother Lloyd is going to come and share with us the word of God. So let's welcome him. Lloyd, come on, brother. Good morning. There we go. Get all my props in place. Is Sue here? Is she online, perhaps? No, she's not. She's online. She's online. All right. Well, good morning, Sue. <laughs> and I could just offer you that those egg salad and chicken salad sandwiches that she makes are the most awesome sandwiches. And the guys and the folks there appreciate that so much. And I just want to say thank you uh, to this church for their support, for their prayers, for all that you do to support the Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission. As Pastor was sharing, I've only been there for about three years. Lisa has, has joined me in the ministry as well, but uh, it's been an incredible journey for me. I'm going to share a little bit about that in terms of God's calling on my life, uh, but it's been an incredible journey to see God at work in some incredible and amazing ways in the lives of others. Many who come to us in pure desperation, in circumstances that are just incredibly horrific, and in great need. Uh, they come to us hopeless, and our prayer is that as we minister to them in the name of Christ and with the gospel, that they leave hopeful 
and that's our great desire um, at the rescue mission. I thought I would just share a brief update for you about the mission, some of the exciting things that are going on there, because there are a lot of exciting things going on at the rescue mission. Uh, first, as Pastor shared a little bit of history, that was great, thank you, I could check that off my list. Uh, but we did start the rescue mission, it was started back in 2003. Uh, Lisa and I actually did start ministering uh, volunteer work at the rescue mission under Carlos. Um, and, and that's been a while um, ago since Carlos. Uh, but since 2003, uh, they purchased a, a, a Canadian club, a wedding venue and bar located at 40 Chestnut Street and converted that facility into a men's homeless shelter. And I just want to share with you, last night, even last night, we were able to take in and receive 25 men who would have otherwise had nowhere else to go. Perhaps a car, or maybe the park bench, sometimes the Elm Street garage, um, those locations that unfortunately some call home. But last night they slept at 40 Chestnut Street at the Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission, where it was warm, where we offered them a shower, where we provided them with breakfast this morning, a warm meal, where we offer them hope with services, uh, not just shelter, food, and clothing, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, as we serve them in their daily needs, our desire is to meet them with their great eternal need, which is Christ. You're a part of that. You're a part of this, the church at large who's serving men and women there at that shelter, and we're so thankful for that. Um, I like to share a story with you because oftentimes to get to know the mission is truly to understand some of the stories. And one of our, our, our stories uh, that we're currently involved in, that we're currently sharing with others, is about a man named Steve. And Steve came to us from the North Country, from Laconia, discharged from a hospital. We often get folks who are discharged from hospitals with nowhere else to go. Steve was discharged to us, we received him. Uh, Steve was diagnosed with cancer and came to us and without family or friends, without anyone else to take him to any appointments, without a primary care physician, without anybody to care for him for his great medical needs, um, we often took him to a variety of oncology appointments. Uh, we took him to the radiation center and he met with a chemotherapy specialist. Um, Steve has advanced stage four cancer, started in the back of his nose, um, and is now advanced to other parts of his body. Steve is not currently eligible for the hospice house there in Merrimack, so Steve continues to stay with us. And we manage his care as best we can, offering him the hope of Christ while we meet his physical needs. They've determined that Steve is not eligible for chemotherapy or radiation. He's beyond that. And as we sat in that oncologist's office and they shared with me that he wouldn't be eligible for those things, they also shared with Steve honestly that Steve had about three months left to live. And that's a difficult message for someone to receive who has nobody, who can't call mom or dad, who doesn't have a sister or a friend that they can go to, that they can be comforted by. But Steve is happy at the mission. He's comforted at the mission. He's family at the mission. And we receive folks into, those, into the mission. I tell them they can come anytime they want to service Steve's needs, 
and they do. Um, pardon my bluntness, but when Steve has an accident, when he soils himself, we get him up, we clean him up, we wash his clothes, and we give him a shower. And sometimes that's the day-to-day work that is required for folks serving. It's hard work, it's challenging work, but it's rewarding work, and it's the work we're called to do. Steve is an incredible, loved creation of God. Steve needs to see the love of Christ in us, and we meet him in his great need. I don't know what Steve's next couple months look like. We monitor him day to day, and we don't know when the hospital visit will be required or when additional drugs will be needed. Um, He's not currently in any pain. All he desires for me, and pardon me, I don't know where you are in terms of your own theology, but a pack of cigarettes and a Mountain Dew each day works for him. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's what we provide. Uh, Pray for Steve. And pray for others like that who come to us in just desperate situations with nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go, that the Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission can minister to folks like that. That's what we do day to day. Praise God for that. Uh, Just a couple things about the programs that we offer there. We don't just receive, like I was mentioning, folks into the shelter uh, with a shower, clothing, and food. Uh, We have two programs that we offer at the mission. One is called our R12, based on Romans 12, uh, to transform their lives. Uh, It's a year-long program. We bring them in. We establish them in a foundation that is biblical, that is in Christ. We teach them the word of God and offer them opportunities to receive Christ and to set a new path. And in all of that biblical teaching and training throughout the course of that year, we teach them job skills, how to write a resume, how to do an interview, um, how to build social networks, um, how to do all of those things that are going to help them. Where do you apply for housing? Where do you look for housing? Um, How can you you make housing affordable? Uh, We do all those things with the guys in order to help them so that when they leave us, they're in a a self-sufficient place for housing and for employment. They have an income. They can meet their bills. Um, We do those things for the men. I often joke with the guys there that uh, don't take it personal, but we desire for you to leave here as quickly as possible. (laughs) And they offer them in a place that's different than when they came in. And that's what we do. We have a work program for guys who come to us that already have a full-time job. Uh, We teach them principles around finances. Some, it's amazing, come to us, they've been working for years. And I say, well, how much do you have saved? Nothing. Well, what are you spending your money on? Where is your money? Lots of different answers. And we teach them how to save money while they're there. Because we feed them, we clothe them. There's no reason for you to spend a lot of money. So we teach them how to save money so that they build up a savings. And then they can afford an apartment. Um, and housing. They can uh, learn how to manage their finances in a godly way, give back to God, learn what it means to tithe, to honor God in their finances. They can learn how to do those things. And so that's the work program. Uh, Probably three to six months, depending on the individual, for however long they need in order to learn some of those things and become self-sufficient. But those are the two programs that we offer there at the Rescue Mission. And we have quite a few guys that are in in one of those two programs now, and we're praying that God would deliver by divine appointment others, uh, but we see them come, and we see them go, and we pray that God would work in their heart not only to come to Christ 
and to learn how to live a godly life, but to get out into the world to become self-sufficient, to reestablish relationships. One of our guests has reestablished a relationship with his son, and he's looking to get full custody of his son as he moves out and gets into an apartment. Uh, uh, reestablished a relationship with his mother, explained to his mother that he's a new man, he's a changed man, he's a man of God now. And we love to hear stories like that, and we believe that God is doing that work in the lives of so many there at the rescue mission. Um, I want you to pray for a gentleman named Pastor Mark Perkins. Pastor Mark just started with us uh, full-time as a program director at the rescue mission. He comes to us from Niagara Falls, the Niagara Falls Rescue Mission. He's only about a month in, um, so he's getting his feet wet, but he has a lot of experience with the Niagara Falls Rescue Mission and programs that are developed out there. So we're, we're thanking God and praising God that he's now with us and going to be able to assist in the structure with the programs that we have there at the mission. So pray for Pastor Mark, or come by and visit Pastor Mark. Uh, maybe one of the most exciting things about our journey at the rescue mission is probably likely to occur over the next year. We purchased a property at 36 Toll Street, and our prayer, with God's help, is to open that facility in the fall of 22 as a women's shelter. We've never had a women's shelter as a part of our offering, but we believe that now is the time and God has divinely given, gifted, truly gifted us that property at 36 Toll Street. I have a general contractor on board. We started renovations. Actually, we started demolition late December. We're renovating the property now. It's going excellent. Um, it's two floors, 7,700 square feet, and it will help 25 women come off of the street into housing, into hope. Um, be praying for that. Be praying as the Lord continues to direct us. It's a large project. Um, it's time-consuming. There are, I'm sure, some hurdles and challenges ahead. Uh, but we're praying that God would allow us to continue to meet the schedule so that we can open that up in the fall before the winter of the next year arrives and that we'll be able to meet the needs of 25 women. We're truly blessed. We've been praying about that for a while now as a rescue mission, and God has shown us that now, perhaps, now is the right time. Be praying for that. And then lastly, just as a brief update, the way that you can support the mission Sue has already given us one of those ways of folks that provide for us uh, meals. We offer lunch to the community, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, dinner on the weekends, breakfast each morning for the guests. Uh, and we also do a gift center every other Tuesday. We open it up by appointment to the full community. We have a lot of women and children, men who come in. All of the groceries that we get, all of the food that we get from the New Hampshire Food Bank, from Hannaford's as a part of the Fresh Rescue Program are offered to those folks free of charge. We never charge anybody for anything. And so they can come in, have their needs met every other Tuesday. Um, and so a lot of needy families thank us as they leave with the groceries uh, for the week or for a couple weeks or clothing that they needed for their son or daughter or for their child, diapers, things like that. So keep praying for that. You know, and I want to just say, again, thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting the Rescue Mission. That's a little bit about what we do. That's just one story, Steve's story. There's so many other stories. Um, Pastor Jeff has allowed me to place this on your, in your foyer area. It's next to the books, I think. Um, as you leave, if you're interested, take one of these. This is our most recent newsletter. This highlights our intern and his story there at the Rescue Mission. It'll give you a little bit more information even about the women's shelter. But take a look at this. Uh, we're online at hopefornashua.org. You can go there. Uh, to take a look at uh, some of the most recent updates 
Um, I plan on putting up a page for the women's shelter to share with you how that is advancing. And of course, Facebook. Uh, you can join us on Facebook. I keep that occasionally updated with some pictures as well. So those are some of the updates. Um, Lisa and I are going to hang around a little bit afterwards. If you have other questions about the ministry or the ministry needs, we'd love to answer those for you. Um, but I've also prepared some thoughts from God's Word. Um, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Pastor Jeff suggested perhaps I share a little bit of my story uh, with you, my, the way that God has called myself and Lisa uh, to the rescue mission. But really it starts out before my calling to the rescue mission, and it is, it's a calling of discipleship, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and our unique stories. And I love how Jesus uses Peter often in the scriptures for some clear teaching and for a dose of reality for each of us, for all of us. It applies to our lives. But before I start, would you just pray with me? Lord, before I open these God-breathed scriptures, your very word that is precious to us, Lord, draw my thoughts into your thoughts and draw these, this time into a time that is ordained by the Holy Spirit of God, that is given great power, that helps us to receive this word as living and active in our lives that causes us to examine ourselves honestly and causes us to change for the glory of God, for the purpose of serving Christ, for the purpose of having an impact in our world at the rescue mission or wherever you go to work every day, your neighbor across the street. Call us to be the disciples that you desire for us to be, the followers that you desire for us to be, the fishers of men even that you called Peter to be, you also call us to be. Have your way, have your will, in my words, in our lives. To your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the life of a disciple of Jesus look like? I've been thinking about that all week. And I know that for many of us, it looks quite different. Each of us has a unique story. My story is unique. Lisa's is unique. Yours is also a unique story of discipleship, of following Jesus Christ. And I appreciate Peter and his journey. His story was unique as well, found in Luke chapter 5. Peter was a fisherman. We know that, a professional fisherman, nonetheless. I am not a fisherman. My dad owns a, or my, my father who passed away owned a, a cabin up on Green Lake in Ellsworth, Maine. And I recall many years I had been going up there to vacation since my, my parents took us up there for the first time when I was 12 years old. I won't reveal my age. You don't need to guess, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. And I can tell you uh, that there were not a whole lot of successful fishing trips. Uh, we tried everything. I bought the fanciest, shiniest lures. Uh, I bought the bloodiest crawlers you could find. I threw it in at the rocks and near the weeds. I took it out into the middle. And for whatever reason, I just not, did not become a great fisherman. So at the end of the week, oftentimes, when we would hold a fish fry, I bought more fish than we caught. <laughs> but the fish fry was still good, so we had a great time. So I was not a great fisherman. Again, Peter's, in, Peter's journey was unique as a fisherman. 
But I think Peter's journey as a fisherman has some things that, in it that teach us what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it said that God is seeking those willing to surrender their life to follow him according to his will. Many of our own journeys of faith can declare that God's ways oftentimes, what? Are not our ways. <laughs> and God's thoughts sometimes are not our thoughts. If you're honest with me, and just like my unique journey, life has offered many detours and a lot of hard turns. I've often thought ahead a little bit, and it didn't play out quite that way. But that's okay, because God's in charge, and God knows better, and God loves a person, a will submitted to his. And that journey, oftentimes, while it can be hard, is also exciting and rewarding when we know that it's in the Lord's will. Isn't that true? I pray that that's true of your life. We're often required to step out in faith and experience God and his goodness, his power, his will, and his way in our life. I was born again in 1987 by God's grace through faith, faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. 1987, I was 24 years old. It was just after the birth of our first child, Christy. Uh, we have four, Christy the oldest. I recall my early childhood, my mom was faithful to take us to church. We were up and out to church every Sunday morning. She took us to church. And I developed a belief that as long as you went to church on Sunday, that as long as you were a religious person and occasionally performed good works to earn God's favor, then he would allow you to become part of his heaven. That's how I grew up. That's what I believed as a young man, as a teenager, and then as a young uh, married man. But through a series of divinely appointed relationships, and I won't get into all of them, but divinely appointed, I was befriended by a pastor who led me into the truth of scriptures, of the scriptures. And he confronted my understanding of the way of salvation. He caused me to see the game that I was playing. He caused me to see that I was checking some church boxes. I was playing a religious game, but I hadn't established a living relationship with the Savior. I repented in 1987 of that game and declared that Jesus was the only way. He was my Savior, and he was the only way to forgive my sins and to come before a holy God. And ever since then, God took hold of my heart. I, I declare no credit. I deserve no credit. God took hold of my heart and changed me he changed the way I thought. He changed the way I acted. He changed my heart for a new purpose and in a renewed sense of his strength, a source of his power. In 2011, we had relocated up into New Hampshire, into Milford. We lived there for 20 years, 21 years in Milford, New Hampshire by a, via a job relocation. I was able to begin again. I had started a pursuit at seminary uh, back in, Hat in Hatfield, Pennsylvania in 1999. It was stalled a bit. I discovered a seminary here in this area um, that could accommodate a work schedule along with a, a seminary schedule. It was Bethel Seminary of the East. They had a campus in Auburn, Mass, located at Faith Baptist Church. I would travel there every Thursday from 3 to 9 o'clock, attend classes. 
Four and a half years later, I graduated with my Master's of Divinity in 2015. And had begun praying. I believed that God wanted perhaps Lisa and I to do some sort of full-time ministry. I didn't know what it was like or what it would be, where it would be. Uh, but I sensed that. After graduating, we continued to pray. I had served on the board of the mission for about two years. Rick Rudder was asked to become lead pastor down at a, a church in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And he did. And I sensed that perhaps the Lord might want me to move into that, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to say, hey, here's my resume. What do you think about me? I said, Lord, if that's something that you want me to do, if that's where you want me to be, then make that obvious and clear. And so I sat back and prayed. Rick came to me, he said, hey, why don't we go out to dinner one night? I said, sure. And he offered that perhaps we should pursue that. Through a series of pursuits, like you had mentioned, Jeff, in January, of the 2019, I guess it was, 2019, I accepted that position and became the executive director of the Southern New Hampshire Rescue Mission. Wow, I had no idea <laughs> what I was in for. I came out of the corporate world for 31 years. I graduated from Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with a degree in computer systems management. All I wanted to be was a software developer, a business analyst, a project manager. Um, I started out, if there are any software developers here, I will declare my age by saying I started out developing in COBOL. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> there they are. Um, I ended up in the last six and a half years, or before accepting the position at a local technology company as their senior project manager, uh, leading technology projects, and I was quite satisfied um, with that and thought that's kind of where I would play life out where I would end up retiring, until the Lord said, this turn here is where I want you to go. And so I set that aside, stepped out in faith, and took on the challenge, and I can tell you that only by God's grace, and by the source of his strength in my life, and by answered prayer, likely from many, uh, that he sustained me. Because the challenges are real, and the day-to-day -day life is difficult, but the rewards are incredible when you see a man like Steve and his life changed for the glory of God, or JP, an intern, or others, countless stories I could tell you, when you see that happen, when you see the obvious work of God in a person's life, it is so rewarding. I can just tell you that the brokenness that's out there is real. And it traverses all socioeconomic statuses. I'm sure it's sitting right here in this church, in these pews right now. But God is good. And God sees people through their circumstances into a glorious hope and preferably into an eternal home. That, just like 1 Peter tells us, these are momentary afflictions. Hold on. Stand firm. Remain in the faith. God is good. He will get you through it. He will develop you for his honor and for his glory. And I pray that we become the disciples of Jesus Christ that just like this story of Peter calls us to be. So if I could just read the text for you this morning. It's in Luke 5. It's verses 1 through 11. As I read it, just consider some of the lessons that are for us, the ones that came to Peter um, and then I'll just share a couple thoughts 
with regards to what I believe we can learn from Peter's unique journey that perhaps should be a part of our unique journey. The text, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, whilst, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Some translations, fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Our story may not be one of a fisherman, and it's certainly probably not Peter's story, but I believe each of our stories of discipleship, of following Christ, has two common things. First, that we live life with a new purpose. We've got to live life with a new purpose. Peter recognized his calling, his experience with Christ, and his new purpose. I'm sure Peter was an excellent fisherman. I'm sure he looked at his fishing trade as a way to provide for his family a paycheck at the end of the week. I'm sure he appreciated that he could become a master fisherman, a, a good fisherman, perhaps a mentor to others to teach them about fishing. Maybe that's how Peter looked at fishing. But I'm sure Peter's idea of fishing, his view of fishing was changed in his experience, his encounter with Jesus Christ that day and in that moment. Peter was called to leave everything that he knew about fishing. Put it aside. You're going to do something new. You're going to become fishers of men. And I'm not suggesting at all that, similar to Peter, we are called to set aside our current profession. You don't have to worry about me asking you to go in tomorrow with a resignation letter to your boss and say, I'm finished. God has called me to be fishers of men. I think what God is calling all of us to do is where we are to become fishers of men. If you're a software developer, if you're an engineer, if you're a nurse, if you're a school teacher, or whatever it is that you wake up to do tomorrow, that's your secondary priority. Your first priority as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to become fishers of men. It's to tell others about the amazing grace, the work of God in your life, to witness for him. To say, look what Jesus Christ has done 
for me to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. Has a new sense of priority, a new sense of purpose in their lives. It's not just about earning the paycheck at the end of the week. It's not about putting food on the table. It's about sharing Christ into the lives of others. That others might be impacted for the kingdom of God, to the glory of God. Do you understand that that's your purpose? Do you understand that maybe tomorrow when we wake up, when you wake up, maybe that will become a new sense for your motivation or your purpose in developing software or meeting the needs of a sick patient, teaching a student. Our purpose is greater than our profession, and it was for Peter. Now maybe, maybe you will be called to leave that profession. Don't discount that. Don't be afraid to pray for that. Maybe that's what God is doing in your heart. And I don't know, maybe there are one or two here. Pray about that. Consider how God is calling you. For me, project management was done. It was time to leave. I'd spent 31 years doing that work. I spent a lot of money to get that degree in order to do that work. And God said, no, let's try something different. Let's try something different. Maybe that is your life. Maybe you'll respond in obedience in a similar way as Peter did. So we become fishers of men in our renewed sense of purpose to cast our nets, the gospel, far and wide that others might be impacted for the name of Jesus Christ. But there's also a second component, I think, in terms of our purpose. It's also living with a complete trust in God a commitment that's wholly and fully committed to him, trusting in Christ for everything. He is our new source of strength, our new source of power, if you would, God. It's interesting when God or when Jesus performed that miracle in Peter's life, I don't think he was performing that miracle for Peter to show Peter that there were fish down there. I don't think so. I don't think he was performing that miracle to show Peter that he could earn a really good paycheck because that was a lot of fish. Remember, the boat began to sink. The nets were broken. And I don't think he did that to show Peter, Peter, I've given you enough fish to feed your family for the next month. I don't think he was doing that at all. I think what he was doing for Peter was to show himself that Peter sat in the very presence of God. That he sat in the presence of the Almighty, the sovereign one of the universe and the source of all strength. The one who when I, you, when Peter doubted, said, no, I got this. And my ways aren't your ways. You know, people don't usually catch a lot of fish in the middle of the day, do they? I don't know if there are any fishermen here, but you don't normally go out in the middle of the day to do your great fishing. Peter didn't. He fished at night. Oftentimes on that lake I was telling you about, we went out early in the morning, or you would go out when the mosquitoes were, you know, they were the size of birds up in Maine. When you, when you went out at night, and if you could tolerate the bug bites, you could catch a lot of fish. But you don't go out in the middle of the day. Nobody does that. 
and you're certainly not going to catch a lot of fish. Well, unless Jesus tells you to go out in the middle of the day, and then you do catch a lot of fish. Because that's who God is. God in his sovereignty has a plan, and it may not look like the plan that you have developed or devised, but if you'll submit to him fully and expect extraordinary things, different ways than you're thinking, God is your source of strength. God is the one that you can trust in with your whole heart, fully and completely. Even when my reasoning and my logic says, like Peter, you're out of your mind. That's crazy. Nobody goes fishing in the middle of the day, Jesus. But okay, I'll go drop the nets. Thankfully, Peter was obedient. Prayerfully, we'll be the same. Then when God says for me to do something that defies my logic or my reasoning, I'm willing to say, I will do it anyway. Why? Because you are God. You are the Almighty. You are divine. You are sovereign over my life. You know better than I do. We have to trust in Christ with all of our heart. Don't fall back on your ways. Don't fall back on a plan that's yours that doesn't include God or Christ at the center. He wanted Peter to learn that. Peter, before you follow me, before you can follow me, you must fully trust in me. So what did Peter do? Peter says, okay. Drops everything and follows him. And then that's an amazing testimony of a committed disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ. That Peter's new charge was to become fishers of men. His new purpose was beyond fishing. It was the gospel. Peter's purpose was understood. Peter's trust was changed. I'm sure Peter, when he got back into that boat, when he brought that number of fish ashore, said, I think I'll start trusting Jesus now. And that's a good idea for us. Start trusting Jesus now. Start trusting him with your life. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Most of you probably know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will direct your paths. Have you ever considered the life, I'm not sure of my time, I'm almost finished. Have you ever considered the life of a lobster? I know I'm in the Northeast, and I know you guys love lobster up here. I learned to love lobster too, and I've learned a little bit about lobsters. From time to time, lobsters have to leave their shells in order to grow, right? They need the shell to protect them from being torn apart. Yet when they grow that old shell, what happens? It must come off, it must be abandoned. If they need to abandon it, the old shell, if they didn't abandon it, the old shell would become their prison and eventually their casket. The tricky part about the lobster is for a brief time when that old shell comes off and is discarded, they become rather vulnerable, don't they? The transition, it says, is likely to be scary for a lobster. Pardon my silly analogy, but currents from the cartwheels that toss them to and fro from coral to kelp, the hungry schools of fish that are ready to devour them as part of the food chain. And as they look back, that old shell probably looks pretty good. You know, we aren't that different. We need to change and grow. We need to shed our shells. 
our way of thinking, our framework for living life, the things that we trust in, the old ways of acting, we need to shed that. We need to shed the things that we were depending on and start to depend on him. And I think that's what discipleship is. It's being so committed to Christ that when he calls us to follow, we are willing to change and risk to grow and leave those old shells behind. We become new because he makes us new. So that's the charge for discipleship, for us. Peter's story is unique. Your story is unique. My story is unique. But what we have in common is the call to understand our great purpose and the great power that we have, the strength to trust fully in Jesus Christ for our lives. We need to do that, church, become fishers of men. And I pray that our priorities in life would demonstrate that. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, remember that your charge is to become fishers of men. Then go out and develop those COBOL programs, all of you. <laughs> or go fishing. Or teach students. Or assist those in a nursing home. Or perhaps serve at the rescue mission. Whatever it is, cast the net. Share the good news of Christ. Be used of God to change lives for the glory of and honor of God, I pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, you have called each of us this story of Peter is a story that teaches us not how to become fishermen, but how to become fishers of men. How to declare the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's desperately in need. Hopelessness abounds in the lives of so many. Desperation and circumstances that are beyond incredible. But Lord, you are good. You are God. You are sovereign. You are in control of all things. And I pray that as your disciples, Lord, that we would honor you in ways that glorify the name of Jesus, that share the good news of Christ, and that see souls come to the saving faith in Jesus. That is our sense of purpose. That is where our source of strength comes from. I love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. We commit it to you. And we always pray in the name of our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having me.